Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 86 of the Double Dog Cast. Today is November 12th, 2023. My name is Victor Lee, joined, as always, by Derek Devera. Derek, winds had swirled a little bit yesterday. Some emotions, I think, had swirled yesterday, too, with Husky football. But uh, how you doing, man? How is uh, time change treating you? I'm tired. <laughs> I am emotionally drained. My body's feeling it. It's November, as you said. The wind, the rain, the darkness, and despite all of that, feeling terrific. It helps to be to be on the winning ledger, does it not? Yes. Ten and oh, who would have thunk it that we would be talking about a double-digit undefeated Husky team way back when, when we were nervous about the off-season and the lead-up and all the hype, but here we are. And obviously a lot more to be played, but pretty cool to be 10-0. And, you know, side note, I'm sure folks know maybe by now, but Kalen DeBoer's 100th career win yes, head coach. So uh, just a nice little marker here at the really the core part of the finish of this college football season here in November. Yeah, let's talk about how he got to 100 wins because, yes, I, I think I was hearing the stat that uh, in his uh, coaching lifetime, he's 100 wins and 11 losses, which is pretty dang impressive. That's just slightly underneath a, a 90% clip. But to the recap we go, Derek, last three weeks, number five, UW defeating Stanford 42-33 to on the farm at Palo Alto. Then the Huskies hit the road again, heading over to USC, where number five Washington defeating number twenty USC fifty-two to forty-two. They had the primetime game on ABC in what was yet another high-scoring affair. And then just yesterday, as you had mentioned, number five uh, Washington defeating number eighteen Utah thirty-five to twenty-eight in a game where that score doesn't quite belie exactly how the flow of that game might sound but Huskies like you said 10 and 0 uh, the only the second time in program history that a team has started 10 and 0 obviously the much vaunted 1991 team had done that in their run towards the national title Derek these Huskies are I think I, the the quote from Christian Cable out of uh, on Montlake and I even think Mike Varell out of the Seattle Times these Huskies are imperfect but they they are 10 and 0 and you can't really ask for that much more especially now at this point of the season, two games to go. Every week has been a little different. I know we talked about that last week with, or last time we were on the podcast with the week-to-week brand sentiment. And, you know, the game against Stanford was another kind of oddball game with Stanford, who hadn't really mustered up much of a fight, giving UW all they could handle before Washington kind of squeaked away. And then USC was just, you know, straight up haymakers left and right. And then even yesterday's game against Utah was, uh, fist fight early and then kind of shutting it down late and we'll get into the specifics of that but Derek besides kind of the the 10 to 0 in emotion what's your feeling about this team because likely they're going to stay fifth in the college football playoff rankings how do you assess them not just within kind of the history of the program but within kind of the national landscape I mean I think every game here on out now I'm just going to be clenching like no other I think this team finds a way to win and they do it in a way that is unnecessarily stressful a lot of times we've mentioned this 
repeatedly that this team is becoming the Seattle Seahawks in, you know, 2013 when they won their Super Bowl in that they are such a Seahawksy team. And what I mean by that is they have sometimes the hardest wins ever and they they get in their own way a lot of times they shoot themselves in the foot they play down to some opponents they they keep games closer than they need to be the the put away drive or the put away play always happens late late in the fourth quarter instead of Mm. early in the fourth quarter when they can do it and despite all of that they you know winners find ways to win and um, championship teams find ways to win I think, funny enough, they're creating some margin of error down the stretch here against Oregon State and Washington State. But there's still so much to clean up. They haven't played a complete game. And each game, as, as you said, it's it's week to week. These are still, you know, college kids that are, are figuring it out. I do think Kalen DeBoer and the coaching staff is doing a tremendous job just keeping everyone steady. I don't mm-hmm. think this team gets too high or too low. And I think that is reflective day in, day out of just the wildness of college football. And you remind me, and I try to tell myself, you know, just enjoy the ride. I feel like <laughs> there's there's so much of this youthful enthusiasm of of this season for me. And every single time I'm like, just chill out. They got it or chill out. It's just a game, but there are some maddening <laughs> moments and also a lot of explosively beautiful moments, both offensively, defensively, big plays when they need to make it happen. So all that to say, 10-0, and 0, it's, it's something to be really proud of. I think this team still has so much to improve on, and maybe that's the perfect recipe to peak at the right time and, and continue to improve. But I'm also just emotionally drained after every <laughs> single game but you know that's that's the joys of being a fan that comes with the territory does it not exactly no, no matter what age you are i, I thought i would have aged out by this by now but <laughs> but here i am just just still you know riding the highs and lows of, of the team every saturday yeah I think it's also just been you mentioned kind of the the seahawks nature of this team and you know i think we, let's talk about some plays that were approaching peak Seahawks, and then we'll talk about the play that was peak Seahawks yesterday. But uh, the Stanford game, right? Yeah, the the Penix pick in the end zone. Um, he also had that kind of really goofy interception, right? It's just again mm-hmm. plays that you're just like, oh, like. And in the Stanford game, the the Husky team was so kind of stop and start with their offense, and. Really, the the defense again, kind of being the the one liability. I think we're, we've been seeing with this team, it just doesn't feel like they have the bodies to necessarily keep up with you know truly upper echelon teams. The USC game, kind of a, a reverse peak Seahawks play, the the ZTF fumble that he forced on Caleb Williams to give the Huskies the ball just before the end of the first half. The Huskies punch it in, and then the start of the second half, UW looks like they could potentially go up by two scores, which would be huge in a game like that. But then USC gets a, a tip pick on, on tremendous play, I believe, by Eric Gentry of the Trojans, who put all of his like six six frame to tip the ball on what would have been probably a touchdown pass over over the middle to Westover. But then like a a very 
amazing kind of end of game drive with the Huskies just really pounding the ball. Dylan Johnson, I think we should highlight too in that USC game, 256 yards. That is the like third most, I think, in in Washington history against a a ranked or not a ranked, but a conference opponent. Chris Polk, 280 in the Apple Cup, you know, about 10, 10, 15 years ago. And it was actually at that Apple Cup that you were at, Derek, I believe, uh, yeah. back in 2010. And then uh, Hugh McElhenney with his like untouchable like 296 rushing yards in the Apple Cup in an era where you know the game was played in the 1950s and no one can really remember what football is at that point. But <laughs> Dylan Johnson, I mean, yeah, how tremendous was that? And then oh, yesterday, terrific. And then yesterday, the the most peak Seahawks play, Alfonso Tupatala interception ran it about 70. Four yards, but unfortunately he needed about 77 and yeah. dropped the ball and no one went to pick it up. And the uh, Utah offensive lineman fell on it. And instead of getting a pick six, Huskies ended up uh, flipping the field to the Utah one, but got a safety out of it on the next play. So just boy, the you know, I think uh, I was chatting with a friend of the show, Allison, and she was uh, telling me that she just did not understand anything about what was happening in that game. And I responded with the the glass case of emotion gif because I think that was a lot of what Husky fans were going through. And in between, though, like you said, 10-0, and 0, Michael Penix Jr. continues to impress. Apparently, it was no secret now, who we can say, but he was battling the flu during the Arizona State and Stanford games and kind of came alive near the end of the uh, Stanford game. And then obviously just tremendous performances against USC outdueling the, the former Heisman winner and Caleb Williams. Although I think again, Dylan Johnson very much kind of stealing the show on that one. And then yesterday too, even uh, showing off uh, his talents uh, amongst uh, a tough weather game and Dylan Johnson also providing some good spark there. He got over hundred yards again. So maybe this skewed up offense in the running game is finding something late in the season, which will be very beneficial the defense, for as much as we're maligning them, fourth quarter of the USC game, no points allowed. Uh, third and fourth quarters of yesterday's game, no points allowed. And for all that consternation, it seems really odd that this team can sort of bow up and and scratch and claw their way to pitch shutouts in these quarters when it really matters. And Huskies are able to kind of ride that momentum all the way through. So is it sustainable? That's obviously going to be the big question, but... In the meantime, get your blood pressure medication because while this team can be heart attack inducing, they are a lot of fun as well. Yeah, I think perfect recap of, of the last three three games. I do think the defense pitching the shutouts on third, fourth quarter against Utah and then the fourth quarter against USC, that's big. I think you sort of forget that or, or you know, the the way the defense starts, they allow so many big first down gains and it, mm-hmm. it's maddening to watch. But yeah, they they are the epitome of bend but don't break. And I'm I'm hopeful that they'll be able to put together a complete, complete game down the stretch. I'm impressed that their confidence level has never really wavered despite you know, allowing so many yardage. Um, I think the big plays, you know, I think the Mish Powell pick against Arizona State, I think of the ZTF fumble, USC, big stops on fourth down against Oregon. All of those moments just build a cachet of confidence for this defense. And they act like they are 
all worldly sometimes and sometimes they don't deserve it and some a big mistakes and, and big whiffs and, and they don't push the pile there's no tackle for losses mm-hmm. and so on but the defense is really if, if they can really take that next step or two I think it will just calm everyone I think then the entire team's psyche can just like relax for a little bit and not play so stressed or tight where they're making little mistakes and 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 so We'll see, though. I think week to week is is the right mentality. I mean, it's the one and zero mentality. But this UW offense is just electric, and I I don't think we're going to see an offense quite like this for a very long time with just all the weapons. I think Roma Dunze is an incredible number one receiver, not just his skill talent, but he takes advantage of all of his opportunities. I mean, he had two big catches against USC. He wasn't targeted too much, but we needed some big plays, some big just get seven. And when mm-hmm. the ball goes up, I mean, Roma Dunze thinks it's a touchdown immediately. And and sometimes there's some misses and, and miscues on timing. But I think he has been such a explosive force, consistent. Everyone knows that he's the number one receiver. He gets double coverage. He gets pulled and held and... I feel like of any number one receiver, he does not get called or there are defensive holding pass interference called on him when he could have gotten that call, you know, 80% of of the time. I just really think they need a complete game. I'm I'm curious for for you looking forward to Oregon State and, and then the Apple Cup. Mm-hmm. what the team needs to show for you to believe that this is truly a team that's ready for the college playoffs and, and will reach that elite echelon. They're going to have to show that they can actually make stops and not kind of hemorrhage their way into the red zone and then make a stop. And I think we saw some of the issues yesterday against the Utah game where Bryson Barnes, who I think as a backup is tremendous. Like that's the kind of player that you want your backup quarterback to be able to step in and take over the controls. And he wasn't doing anything special. I I mean, he was hitting these little check downs and kind of short routes and they were ripping them off for 10, 20 yard chunks at a time. And that just cannot happen on a cheap little play like that. It was one of those things too, where I think, you know, they, he identified the pressure and then he would basically have his running back go in the flat and there was no one there to cover him. So schematic kind of differences there. They need to fix those. I think more than one, one or two busted coverages throughout the last three weeks. There was that one play at USC where it was like a fourth and five or something like that. And Caleb Williams found a guy wide open in the end zone, breaking the pocket and scrambling. I mean, for a play like that, you kind of let that one go because Williams is such a dynamic talent that no defensive back can cover that long. But he was also just really open too. So it's it's kind of a a maybe have your guys in better positions to make plays like I'll, I'll live with some of those those lapses I, I think also that USC game they drew up a beautiful flea flicker USC did a handoff yeah. going one way and then he sort of faked like the running back was stuffed at the line threw it back to Williams and then Williams hit a long shot like that's that's a great play design and you, you really can't account for that because that's not going to be something that you work in every game but it's the other ones where a guy cannot be, 
you know, within five yards of the defender. You you can't have that kind of scheme where that you're playing that soft. Or if you are, you got to shore up and make the tackle. And I think the Huskies, especially yesterday, definitely a couple of one-on-one situations where they missed missed the tackle and basically gave up another twenty yards. So yeah, yeah. It, I, I think you and I were talking offline about how it's weird who chooses to kind of put on the cape to carry the team. You know, Arizona State game was all the defense, and then the the Stanford game was was like the the offense kind of waking up, and then obviously the USC game was all offense because no, neither team was stopping the other team's offense. And then yesterday could have easily been the defense to close the door with that almost pick six, and then they didn't. But then they got the safety, and then the the offense you know ended up getting the ball back onto the, after a three and out by the defense. That's a great job by the defense to then run basically a, a four minute drive to kind of kill the game mm-hmm. and they did everything but put points on the board because yeah. of the special yeah. teams gaffe. So and I think this goes back to the whole, you know, peak Seahawks thing about like that Super Bowl team, like pretty much built on the defense. The offense certainly wasn't without, you know, some firepower, but every game was just so weird. Like at points it was like, Oh, is this, is this defense actually any good? Like going down 21 to nothing against Tampa Bay. Like, Tampa Bay is a bottom feeder. They're going to be drafting top five next year, and yet they're crushing us right now. And 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 yet, you know, the, the Seahawks of that game rallied back to win the game in overtime. And I think maybe more confusing that this team doesn't seem to have kind of like a firm grasp on certain things like what their defensive identity is. Like this team can't tackle at times, but then it makes these big plays. You know, this team goes weird and gives up two, three and outs to then let Oregon sneak in and take a small lead when you were up by 11. So the fact that it's these kind of wild swings for this team is, is what is confusing. I think to me the most and to tighten that up, it, they'll have a real test against Oregon state uh, next week. Also in prime time against a team that can really, really run the ball. They put up 62 against Stanford. And uh, if you thought Utah was a, was a punishing team, uh, this Oregon state team is easily just as capable, if not better. And they're still right in the hunt for a potential, conference championship game birth yeah you mentioned the sort of the complementary side of the game of of you know defense helping out offense offense helping out defense i think the utah game was this start and stop hodgepodge of the worst parts of the complementary side of the game uh-huh. it, it just felt weird in that we had a ton of opportunities to put it away and the other side just couldn't take advantage of it couldn't punch it in just needed one more seven or just needed Mm -hmm. a stop but then the defense did help out the offense i will say that safety right after the almost pick six was so major i mean just psyche wise i think it saved tupatala and just the the way the team rallied around him, I think just shows a great culture and leadership. And then that that I think is indicative of a championship team of being able to like just forget it. Like mm-hmm. I I was impressed. I was still fuming, but mm-hmm. the team was like, whatever, let's let's just get this these two points. And then in the back of my mind, I was I was like, oh great, it's gonna turn into Two plus seven, and and obviously the <laughs> offense didn't punch it in, and and so that that really speaks to the almost complementary nature of it, of like mm-hmm. oh that that really would have helped, but 
in the end, I think the defense, if they get in more third and long situations, which I think they did a ton in the fourth quarter against Utah, and you saw mm-hmm. it on the last drive of they forced Utah to just throw that basically Hail Mary and get it picked by Dominic Hampton to, to mm-hmm. end the game. They got off the field right away. And I think the first and second down defensive plays are just maddening when they can gain four yards, they push the pile. It's maddening when a slow-footed quarterback can scramble and pick up the first down on a third and six. Mm-hmm. And so I think if the defense continues to get in third and long situations and they can unleash pass rushers where they can get the guy down. I think Braylon Trice has done a great job the last few weeks of really impacting the game. Would love more sacks from him. I also think, you know, in defense of the defense, the safety play is sort of a mismatch of of guys with so many injuries. And so we're playing guys out of position. I think corners are being taxed mentally a little bit more they're being involved in the run game where they're maybe whiffing on tackles and give UW's offense credit in that we flipped the script against Utah being really great in time of possession where we mm-hmm. really ran the ball, ran some clock and the defense was able to stay a little fresher in the fourth quarter. So let's tighten up the complimentary football maybe get out on better stretches in, in first and second down on defense and then just continue to be explosive and efficient offensively and then limit the small mistakes. I think the penalties are killer right now for the mm-hmm. team. I, I think that's a, a big moment of just losing momentum and they're just going to have to figure out a way to, to play through that. Yeah. They're also might need to have conversations with the league office, which may be kind of a futile chore in and of itself, but the the USC game, they had the penalty on Fatanu for the helmet rip that cost mm-hmm. a touchdown. They they got it back, thankfully, with a beautiful ball to your boy, Devin Culp, yes. uh, in the end zone. Um, but then also the 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 fake sideline read play thing. Oh, the the direct snap. Beautiful. Yeah. Then they they called that back. The yesterday's game. They had the the fourth and five, the illegal man downfield penalty and DeBoer so mad he burned a timeout just to yell at the refs a little more and to actually yeah. draw it up for him. Some of those things, you know, they I, I don't understand how how something like that can happen, per se. You'd think it'd be pretty straightforward. It's, it's indicative of the one thing that I think we can all agree on of conference realignment and the Pac-12 going away, which is generally sad. Hopefully this is the end of Pac-12 refs. Like, I think the officiating has just not been up to standard. They've missed calls on both sides of Utah, mm-hmm. a lot of miss. Yeah, there was a bad, bad pass interference call that went the Huskies' way. On, yeah. Say. That was a bad yeah. call. And so I, I just, it, it is unfortunate. I think once, like, these Pac-12 officials, sometimes once they blow, like, one or two whistles of penalties then they sort of kind of get in this ticky tack mode of like oh every play i gotta like call something because something bad's happening and 
and that's just the nature of the game, but it mm-hmm. is frustrating to watch where you are clenching so much of the game, but you're also clenching a, a, after a big play. You're waiting 10 seconds to see if there's going to be a yellow flag mm-hmm. on, on the field. So that's an aside. Paul was complaining about refs. Yes. Well, Derek, you know, we talked about the Oregon State game. We talked about the Apple Cup to close out the season. The Susky team has a chance to make history in some big ways here. Potentially, that's also maybe a reason why you might be a little nervous about what lies ahead for the Huskies. They go on the road to Corvallis coming up this Saturday. We'll be again in prime time, amazingly, as previously mentioned. But no team in the history of, of the Pac-12 has gone undefeated in conference play. So if the Huskies were able to win these next two games, they'd be the only team that would have accomplished that. And with a win next week against Oregon State, I believe that they would have captured a berth in the conference championship game because no team could leapfrog them even with one loss at that point. So lots to play for, obviously. And now with the top two system for a conference championship game, that win against Oregon is still really reaping some benefits because it's like we mentioned before, it gives them kind of that extra wiggle room for these last two weeks. So we'll have to see, obviously, kind of the participants of the championship game have yet to be locked in, but there's still some kind of outside possibilities. And we saw how weird it got last year, too, with Utah's 14 parlay pushing themselves into the title game and then ended up beating USC to go back to back as conference champions. So a lot to play for. And then on the recruiting front, talk about Derek, the defensive reinforcements that probably will be sorely needed for next year. The Huskies got one of those in three-star defensive lineman and edge, uh, Kiona Wilhite, who had previously committed to Arizona, but then flipped to UW. And they also got a quarterback commit for the 2025 class. Jackson Colick out of Laguna Beach, California, is committed to UW and looks to be one of those early foundational pieces of a recruiting class that will hopefully drive the 2025 class, especially with the move into the Big Ten starting next year. So, Derek, any thoughts about what lies ahead and what lies for the future? Just keep keep pounding pavement in terms of, I think our recruiting style has always just been different from the national powerhouses, you know, different from Oregon. And so... I'll I'll defer to coaching staff in terms of their scouting and, and who to offer. Mm-hmm. I do think transfer portal has been such a big benefit for the staff in that they have a lot of connections across the country and they can kind of find needs and, and fill that. And so I'm less nervous or stressed out about getting three stars in your traditional recruiting. But I do think to take that very big step to be consistently elite and championship caliber recruiting needs to continue to trend forward and land some big fish and so we'll see if the coaching staff can continue to build that yes definitely Uh, i think too listening to the dogman.com guys they said that there were a number of recruits at the game yesterday so looking probably to try to finish out recruiting for the the early signing period strong too with we'll we'll have to see as well if again the huskies can land a player from inside this very state but obviously still a little bit to go before the early signing day period happens one other thing too to kind of look forward with is that if you're planning to go travel for husky football next season with the 
team's kind of inaugural season in the Big Ten, you might be able to start booking at least some hotel dates and, and travel plans because they've announced the conference schedule. The team's are already known, but I think the most interesting thing to note is that they still have a couple of kind of, I don't know if they're still bye weeks per se. I, we'll have to see how the non-conference schedule plays in, but they currently have two slots in the, the conference calendar where no games are scheduled. And then now the Washington-Oregon rivalry game is getting pushed to the last week of the season instead of its kind of variable spot where it used to sit in the Pac-10, Pac-12 calendar instead of the Apple Cup. You know, we'll be playing for whatever fictional rivalry we're going to call the UW-Oregon game. But that's something that may change folks' Thanksgiving plans moving forward. So uh, interesting to see. So it's a brave new world out there, isn't it? It's it's a stacked (laughs) schedule. And yeah, there are just some big heavy hitters you know, as we're moving to the Big Ten, that's just a reality now. And, and it, it does give me some comfort knowing that DeBoer, Grubb, you know, Mick and all, all these other coaching uh, on DeBoer's staff, they've they've done Midwest Big Big Ten mm-hmm. onslaught um, yeah. to varying degrees of success. So, but that's a future problem to deal with. But it is fun to just see actual dates on the calendar. Yes, absolutely. It's definitely happening. All right, Derek, I'm going to take a quick side trip here to basketball before we come what? back to Whoa. <laughs> we yes. come back to, to, to the bet recap. Derek, it's basketball season. It's, yeah. it's a chance yeah. to dream a little bit. Oh, I can't do this. This I know. Let's get it going. Let's get it going. That's this. That's you're right there. So Huskies are two and zero to start the season with wins over Bellarmine and Northern Kentucky. They're undefeated too. <laughs> Again, I think we mentioned this offline. It, it's sort of an indictment that we're celebrating a two and zero season as to start because a team like Bellarmine or Northern Kentucky is totally the kind of team that you'd have stumbled on at home too in the past you and i had the what's what's the it's it wasn't painful and it wasn't necessarily pleasurable we had the the workman-like experience of watching some of the bellarmine game on pac-12 network and uh and i think parts of the northern kentucky game i was paying attention to and boy this this is they're a basketball team by the loosest of definitions but they feel like they're still growing into themselves, and they they have a test coming up too today, uh, hosting Nevada at home. But boy, howdy, nothing about this team really is is setting the world on fire. And I don't even know if it's too like a matter that they haven't quite had the time to gel. I know they just got Severe Wheeler back uh, against the Northern Kentucky game, but also I think they're missing Wesley Yates, the the big four-star recruit that they had signed. You and I, though, we were watching that uh, Arizona-Duke game, and that mm-hmm. is like my platonic ideal of what college basketball is. And the Huskies are nowhere near what those two programs are. I mean, granted, they're two blue bloods, but like that was a game. That was a well-played game. That looked like what I remember college basketball to be. And this this Utah basketball team just does not have it. No. I mean, unfortunately, they don't past the eye test it's energy of heck ed it, it just seems sad to just see division one program and a program that we've watched 
through the golden years under Lorenzo Romar and, and multiple tourney appearances and getting a mm-hmm. sweet 16 and having fun, exciting players, you know, Brandon Roy to Isaiah Thomas, John Brockman, Quincy Pondexter, and just great moments. I think it just looked like a glorified high school product on on the court and the personnel all of that was just as you mentioned just in stark contrast to the duke arizona game and until you start bringing in really game changer type players i I don't think the product on the court's gonna look Mm -hmm. great i mean give them credit they are playing their hearts out they're winning they're going to and oh they care they have pride in themselves but i think under mike hopkins it's just such a weird spectrum to see he was coach of the year and had you know really nba ready players and then just fell off and you know the recruiting has stagnated and there's just not a lot of energy and this is us talking about a 2 and 0 team and yes i know the quality of the opponent isn't that high but it just sort of felt like it happened overnight of just the fall but you know i think it's also weird in that people are kind of not rooting for mike hopkins to succeed because it's like there's sort of a desire to change head coaches and the whole just regime of Utah basketball mm-hmm. but it's like do you not want to celebrate when they win and, and do you want them to not turn it around and, and maybe show some fight and show that, Oh, um, they can do it. But I, I think that's why it's such a weird purgatory. You know, basketball. Yeah. I, I think we've, as, as documented by this very show, I think we've spilled more ink and spoken more dialogue about this team than I think most fans have in a while. Yeah. And, and it is very much the same. People are fast forwarding. <laughs> <laughs> please don't please don't fast forward we appreciate your your listenership to out you out there the listener but yeah i mean it, i think you described it as purgatory and that's the perfect way to describe it especially too with this transition over to the big 10 right like what would be cooler than a fresh start and it's going to feel kind of old and stale until it happens and i was just looking at the ken palm rankings this is probably going to be the highest UW's going to be ranked this season at 68 and ironically this nevada team that they're playing at is, is 69 so today's matchup could actually be kind of the bellwether for how this team is going to look moving forward it, it does feel like this team is sort of like a mr potato head doll you just sort of yeah. grab pieces and try to fit them on there and hopefully you make a good looking one so if, if this team is is going to prove something obviously they've got a lot of chances right away here but I'm I'm not uh, holding my breath for it and probably see the curtain fall on the Hopkins era sooner rather than later. But, you know, go out there and play, fellas. I'm I'm excited to watch, you know, whatever wins that you know happen, but hopefully it's uh won't be too too long of a winter on, on the hardwood here. No, and they're building they're recruiting still. They, they are four star dead. They did. They did manage to get uh, four-star Cash Chavis uh, out of Minnesota signing with UW. Combo guard. We'll see, we'll see if that commitment holds with <laughs> we're already projecting doom and gloom for this yeah. team. But yes, recruiting, I think, these days, too, for basketball is kind of weird. Like It is. It's, it's even, even more of 
kind of a free agent pool with the the one year before declaring to the NBA. And then watching that Arizona game and the Duke game, I didn't realize that Caleb Love, the former Carolina player, <laughs> had gone over I, to I Arizona. I saw that too. I was like, Caleb Love, that sounds so familiar. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, looked up and I could sense he had a little more angst against duke so that makes mm-hmm. sense with his north carolina roots. yeah but yeah you're right it's it's a free agent pool who knows where, where guys are coming from transfer wise and but four star four stars Hopkins landed yes maybe he has some stuff left in his his bag of tricks so we'll see <laughs> we we shall see Alrighty, Derek, closing it back up. Let's end this on a fun note. It, yes. Over to the football bets because some more more news has come through. Some more action has happened. And uh, we've, we were able to at least punch out a couple winners here. Our first one on the list, our favorite one, potentially your favorite one. Michael Penix finishing higher than fifth in the Heisman voting is a solid green light so far for you. He, yeah. is, uh, at, he is in within the top three of, of most straw polls and if not the number one. Ironically, I think his biggest competition right now is potentially Bo Nix with yep. uh, the tear that Oregon's on right now. And Marvin Harrison Jr. out of Ohio State, who is putting on just a remarkable season as a wide receiver, likely the Belenikov favorite. But I know Odunze probably has the best chance to push him for, for that honor. But looking good there. I'm feeling pretty happy about this one. Colp and Westover combining for six touchdowns. They got over that hump. Last week, I believe, with Culp's catch for the touchdown, so they're definitely well over six touchdowns at this point. So they're playing so great. I mean, the the tight end plays. Westover's so good. He's just like the the warm blanket that that every quarterback needs. Yeah, and and Culp too, definitely. We, we were reading that piece that uh, Mike Rell wrote in the Seattle Times about how he's come from just kind of being doubtful about himself and being dogged by these drops, and now this kind of confident weapon for the Huskies. Yeah. I got mad when he dropped that two point conversion. You noted that Roman Dunze could have threw that, thrown that ball better. But anyway, he's no Jeremy Bernard. I'll say that when it comes to throwing the ball. Right. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And, and again, I must shout out our receivers. Sorry, I'm taking sort of detours on this, but the receiving core, they're, their downfield blocking in the run game. I know Dylan Johnson's done so great, but I, I, I think I want to give an award to the best receiver blocking crew because this is it. And those are the little things. They're not being called for, for holds. They're, mm-hmm. they're opening up lanes. You're getting the run game going. It's great to see the physicality. And so I want an end-of-season award for receiver blocking. Hang the banner. Yes. <laughs> Next one on the list. I agree, sorry, I agree with you completely, Derek. They've been definitely just so much sharper than they have been in the past. And that's been like an, I don't know what it is about Seattle sports teams and like receiver blocking and screens and all this stuff. That's just been suffering terribly the last yeah. like decade, but finally putting it together. Even the Seahawks putting it a little bit together. Yeah, yeah. Receiver screens and plays and all that. All right, next one. Offensive line gives up fewer than 17 sacks. This is still trending up, I believe. I haven't run the numbers, but the last piece I read in the Times did say that they hadn't even hit double digits yet. So Yeah, they did give up ate, one. Yeah, they ate one today or yesterday. But, hey, we keep it going. O-line, you guys are 
a, a solid steady force as well in you know run game wise physicality pass mm-hmm. blocking so keep it up yes absolutely they're going to need it too for the stretch run as we enter enter the last uh, couple weeks here and then 40th or better in defense points allowed per game Derek, it was looking good for a while there. And then the last couple of weeks, obviously, scores of 33, 42, and uh, 28, certainly not helping things. Huskies right now are currently 50th out of 133 yeah. teams. So, and I think I said, I can't remember which one, which way we went on this. I think I might have said yes. I don't, on this I don't one? remember. Okay, I'll go back to the tape. But yeah, 40th or better is not looking so hot unless they start pitching a couple of, uh, of defensive clinics here. You know, they put together a half, they put together a quarter, and so maybe we're we're coming up on three quarters in the <laughs> next game. Opponents' points per game is 50th out of 133 teams. However, I did mention the actual number, which is 23.5. That's the average number of points being averaged against the Huskies in this defense. I will say... I think our offense does put a little more pressure on the defense because we score so much. Teams are getting the ball back. I thought we had a great methodical drive and drives against Utah and and spilling some clock. Mm -hmm. But I do think no other defense has to like match up with such an explosive offense on, (laughs) on, on, on their team. I mean, USC... I think is different. Um, I think what I, I defense? Them. Yeah, exactly. But you know, they got to run out on the field every two minutes because we're scoring. So mm-hmm. those points are going to trend upwards. So yeah, just just wanted a caveat. Give, yeah. give a little defense to our, our defense. Well, even twenty three point five doesn't sound horrific. Like no. I would expect like an average conference team to put up around that number, like twenty to yeah. twenty four points. But like it, it's the wild swings, right? Like we're talking about the Arizona State game, which was seven and then the usc game which was 42 so yeah that arizona state game is just an anomaly but each game's gonna just have its own right life to it so yeah um, week, week to week like we'd mentioned yeah and then lastly mcmillan and odunze over a thousand yards odunze did his part mcmillan obviously just hasn't been healthy uh, he did get on the field for a couple plays he was on the pitch count yesterday against utah so maybe you can at least kind of make a little bit of a push to to get over like 600 or something like that, but probably not happening this year unless McMillan just goes thermonuclear and somehow has like the best procedure or recovery that we haven't heard about yet. Odunze, one other thing to mention, since I don't, we, we talked a little bit about him, but first player on the team to go back-to-back 1,000 yards in consecutive seasons since Reggie Williams back in the early 2000s. That's great. I mean, yeah. I, Roman Dunze, one of my favorites. Um, I think he's just such a complete player. And you can tell, too, just leadership-wise, you don't really see it come from a receiver usually, but he has really rallied the team and just great leadership. And I think he's going to just have a tremendous career. Absolutely. Okie dokie, Derek. I think that'll wrap this one up. Two, right. two to three weeks to go left for this team. And then... See what happens in the postseason. Lots to still be written about this Husky squad, but boy, this this team, for all its imperfections, that are still pretty special, aren't they? Yeah, I think it's been a fun ride. They're they're doing it. They're in the middle of this 
Well, they're trending out of the really tough November stretch that we circled early in the season, and then they've, you know, really taken care of business. And mm-hmm. so let's see if they can keep it going week to week. I think whatever postseason, you know, situation shakes out, I think it'll still be a fun ride and and just a, a great memorable year. And hopefully they can really turn it on and, and be one of the greats. Yes. Enjoy this team while while we can, as we as you and I have said to each other. Agreed. Alrighty folks, we'll be back to probably recap the season uh, in totality and and look towards the postseason in a couple weeks. So until then we hope you are all staying healthy and staying safe. Go dogs. Go dogs.